As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT CARES Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash untcares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the Ollie at UNT Alumni Spotlight Series, presented by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at UNT and the UNT Alumni Association. The Alumni Association is open to all friends of UNT who are interested in serving, supporting, and celebrating the university. To learn more, visit untalumni.com. To learn more about Ollie at UNT, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. We are spotlighting UNT alumnus Steve Conwell. Steve is an exit advisor, CEO, and owner of Final Ascent LLC. He is an accomplished entrepreneur with over 25 years of business advisory and financial consulting experience. He is a certified value builder and an expert in getting companies built to sell. Steve was the past president of the Fort Worth Institute of Internal Auditors and national board member and Dallas Advisory Council chairman with the American Lung Association. He is an accomplished speaker who presents on several topics on business and entrepreneurship to business leaders and college students. Steve has worked for Ernst & Young in public accounting, business advisory services, and technology auditing, and at Whitman Hart, where he served as the COO of the Dallas office and global director of business operations across a 72 office, $2 billion management consulting firm. After graduating from the University of North Texas with a bachelor's and master's of science in accounting, Steve founded ECC, a national consulting and recruiting firm prior to founding Final Ascent. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me, Susan. Thank you for joining us. You have a very impressive background in the business and financial world. I can imagine that the services you provide now must be extremely valuable in preventing people from losing much of what they've worked so hard to build and grow. You work with people who are ready to sell their companies either because of retirement or transitions to another phase of life or business. Here is a twofold question. How do you do that? And why is it so important to prepare a company before you put it on the market? It's such a great question because, you know, oftentimes we talk about maximizing the value of a business. How do we get a business to go to markets where they're going to get the most money from a buyer and transition into retirement and what they'd like to do after the sale? Oftentimes, the skills that it takes to build a business, right? So those entrepreneurial hats and growing the company are different from when you take a company to market. And there's key things that buyers look at when they're searching for a company to acquire. And oftentimes, those things are not necessarily things that a business owner is going to focus on. 
So you get two things. You get maximizing value, which is super important. Failing to limit losses, which is another challenge, right? So somebody goes to markets, comes to find out they're going to get 50 cents on the dollar because they should have sold the business, let's say, two or three years ago. And because of the economy or because of a shift in business practices, they ended up actually losing a lot of value to their business. And then the other thing is just preparing their business for sale. I always say getting that company built to sell, in effect, so that when they take it to market, they attract multiple buyers. You get that kind of feeding frenzy on wanting to buy the business, and then they've got options to decide which offer they'd like to go with. How do you go about figuring out what a company needs to do? We follow what we call our Reach Your Peak system. It's six phases. I don't want to go and dive into consultant speak, right? But we rely on a lot of (laughs) systems and technology, what we call like the power of the tribe, to help business owners prepare their businesses for sale and really transform their company, if you think about it, into built-to-sell businesses. And it's all about you know aligning the goals and visions of the business owner and helping maximize that business value. The other thing is oftentimes they want to build a legacy, right? They've spent their whole life building this company and they want to inspire that next generation of business owner and see their business build and grow beyond themselves. And so, you know, to do this, we start, we, I call it the foundation, right? But their accounting records. I mean, Flat off the back, we're going to go and do an accounting risk assessment and determine their strengths and weaknesses. Oftentimes, businesses on what's called like the cash basis, and buyers want their companies in the accrual basis, as an example. They also want accurate and complete financial records so they can compare their company apples to apples with other businesses that they're thinking about acquiring. And I would say 90, 95% of the time, we're going to clean up the financial records and get them squared away. And then we'll implement month-end close processes, monthly financial management, review meetings, forecasting cash flow, and just a lot more. So we're really getting their business from a financial record standpoint ready for the next step. And this is a vital step we take our business owners through, and that's engineering their financial performance by building uh, projections. Now, granted, some companies will have gone through this process, but we take them through this from a coaching perspective and helping them think about how to build projections that are challenging but attainable, but we're also concentrating on building their business value from a financial perspective as that is getting executed. So we're looking at things like, okay, how do we how do we look at the market and continue to grow their top line, but also look at it in terms of improving their gross margins, so like their gross profits, so they're selling more profitable items that are easily teachable to their employees and repeatable, meaning that customers are going to want to buy more of it. And then we'll work on cleaning up their, you know, getting lean and mean, if you will, with their operating expenses. A lot of times they just spend a lot so that we can grow their bottom line net profits, which then has an effect on their value downstream. Once we get that going uh, in those two phases, I mean, there's a lot of just coaching and consulting going on. And what we're doing is we're prepping them for some of the heavy lifting that's fixing to come. And what we'll do is we'll work on things. They're called key drivers of value. And those key drivers of value are what buyers look for when they're hunting for companies. So these are these non-financial things that are important. And what we want to do is kind of like selling your home. You don't just go put a sale sign in the yard and say, bang, we're selling our company, right? I mean, you're going to get a realtor. They're going to come in and they're going to 
take out half your furniture. They're going to kind of reorganize things. They're going to have you dust up the paint, maybe put some flowers in the front and just position your company to sparkle and shine to the market. And it's the same thing with the business. So we work on things that a business owner may not necessarily think about if they've never sold their company. And this is super valuable because it's going to affect the multiple that the business sells for. And we'll kind of talk about this later. And so what do I mean by all this stuff? Obviously, strong financial performance is critical. So they want the business to be thriving, not surviving when they go to market, right? Because if I'm going to buy a company, I want to see you know 30% year-over-year revenue growth. I want to see 20% growth in their net profit. So you're coming into the market on a big upswing. But I also want to say, okay, if I'm a strategic buyer, I want to see this business has the potential to scale and it has significant growth potential. So a buyer can come in, bring the capital and the resources that it needs to take that company to the next level. So they'll be hunting for that. Obviously, uniqueness and competitive differentiation is super important because if a buyer is looking at, let's say, your industry and companies in your industry, you want to be able to stand out from that competition. Strong, positive cash flow. You want more money coming in than it coming out. You want it coming in faster than it goes out so that the business can, in effect, operate itself from a cash position perspective. And then the list goes on. I mean, recurring revenue streams. So you have what's called like automatic customers. So every month cash is just coming in on an automatic basis is really valuable to business owners. We can dive into things like uh, customer satisfaction and the net promoter score, which is a uh, a score that's a global index on a company's high potential for growth. And there are buyers that hunt for companies that have high net promoter scores specifically because they know that they can really grow their businesses. And the list goes on. I'd say another huge one is reducing what we call the owner's involvement in the business and affect you proofing the business free from like owner dependency. That becomes a huge issue when buyers buy companies. If the business is in effect synonymous with the owner, oftentimes it can be considered worthless. And so what we want to do is, in effect, have the owner be the owner and have a CEO or a manager and other people executing the business without them. Uh, now, that doesn't mean, obviously, they, they disappear, right? But at the end of the day, that becomes a huge thing for a turnkey business that is, hey, you buy my business, I give you the keys, and it can operate without me. So yeah, there's a, there's a myriad of different things, but that's in effect what we do to help companies go through our cycle. And really it's about value maximization and making sure they're prepared for sale so they can attract multiple buyers, create that buyer tension, and then ultimately sell the business the way they would like to sell it. Well, it sounds like other than the owner dependency, which makes so much sense when someone's taking over a business, you don't want it dependent on a certain person that won't be there. But the other aspects of it sound like such important elements of a very successful business. It sounds like they could go through, someone could go through this process without even being ready to sell and their business would benefit from it. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because when we go through this process, most of the business owners will say, gosh, you know, I, I probably, sh I should have been running my business this way, right? Because, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, offers sometimes will come out of nowhere. And if a company is really built to sell, they can take advantage of it or they can just say, no, don't want to do it right now. Well, then that makes me think about someone who's first starting a business and coming up with a good business plan. 
it must be a crucial part of a good business plan to be able to maximize your business at the other end of things when you're actually ready to sell or ready to retire, whatever you're ready to do. Yeah. you know, it, It's not about, hey, how much revenue do we have coming into the business? It's how much value are we creating with the business? You know, I've seen time and again where you have, let's say, a $10 million company and a $5 million company in the same industry and the $5 million company sells for more. Wow. Because they're more efficient. They don't have, let's say, like customer concentration issues. Let's say the $10 million business has got 40% of the revenue coming from one customer. That's a significant risk to a buyer because what if the customer goes away? Or they may be a $10 million company, but their net profits are $450,000, where this $5 million company has net profits of $1.2 million. Right. So they're smaller from a revenue perspective, but they're much more valuable than the larger company. And that's thinking in terms of creating value and improving the value of your business. And if you think in terms of that, you think about these non-financial drivers that I was talking about and those key elements that buyers look for when they're hunting for a business to acquire right off the bat, running your business that way, just from the beginning entrepreneurial stages going forward, you're way ahead of the game from somebody that doesn't take that approach. This sounds like something that a person wouldn't, or a business wouldn't be able to accomplish overnight. I'm sure there are many elements that have to go into play. Do you have a normal timeline for this process or does it depend on how well organized the business is originally? Yeah, that's a good question. Usually we'll work with businesses that want to sell like inside of two years with a minimum of about 12 months of work. If you get shorter than that, depending on some of the things that we need to work on specifically to maximize their value, you don't have enough runway. And some of that's going to be dependent on the owner and their selling requirements from a timeline perspective, right? So they may have, let's say, a couple of parents in another state getting dementia, they absolutely have to sell the business. And that's one of those really sad situations where if we had the bandwidth and time to really help to grow their value, we could double or triple what they're going to get when they sell the company, but they need to sell now. The other situations that will come up, and I always say it depends, we follow, like I said, a reach your peak system, but there's areas of focus depending on what they need to strengthen to improve the value of their company and get them built to sell. So, you know, each company, we take them through the same system, but we evaluate it and look at it and then we work backwards. So if you want to sell at, let's say, what are we in July 2020, and they want to sell two years out, we say, okay, it takes on average about nine months to sell a business. So we'll back that up. Then we'll say it takes about two to three months to really get the business ready to go to market. And so there's a whole process that you have to go through to get them ready to go to market and market them out on the web, et cetera. And then from there, we can see, okay, that's the amount of time that we have to work with to maximize your value. And then we'll continue working with them through the sale, but that gives a good kind of visual timeline in their mind to say, okay, I don't have two years to get my business ready for sale. Let's say I have 12 months to do it. Well, I know that it might be a little too soon to ask this question, but I'm very curious. <laughs> with all the recent devastation that's gone on with so many businesses, small or otherwise, we read about it in the paper all the time. I talk to people about it because of this COVID-19 situation. Things have definitely changed in many marketplaces. So have you noticed that in terms of what you do for businesses? And do you have any advice for people that are in businesses that are 
affected by this situation? Yeah, well, I'll tell you. I mean, it, it's really been a blue swan event, right? Yes. Um, yeah, it reminds me of the tech and like internet bubble crash back in, was it 2001, 2002 timeframe? The mortgage meltdown, brutal, came out of a, a, not nowhere, but really hit hard for the economy. And, you know, I'll tell you, uh, all the things that we tell business owners to do to maximize their value is the same thing to help mitigate the effect of like downturns in the market and that, you know, hit to their value. The tough thing is all of those things that we tell business owners to do got hit all at once through nothing they could do about it, right? I mean, businesses, boom, shut down, work from home. It was brutal. And so what we've done, I, I guess it's been like a crash course in surviving during a really unique time in our history. So what we've told our customers and what we've worked on, I mean, of course, we've spent a bunch of time you know, filling out the payment protection plan, loans, the programs of getting those applications squared away and all that, but getting to brass tacks on looking at their projections this way. I mean, what is happening to my revenue? What's happening to my labor costs? How is it going to affect my business when we come out of this thing? Because it's not going to be that all of a sudden, let's say the economy completely opens up on July 1st, as an example, and they're going to double their revenue for the next three months. It's going to take time to, let's say it could take four to six months, maybe a year for their business to get truly back to where it was. And so we'll project for that. And we'll project the SBA loans coming in, the forgivable part, the potential part of that that would have to get paid back, get lean and mean in their expenses, which I tell every business owner, look, this is an interesting, if they get anything out of this comment, of this podcast here, it's this. For every dollar that you save by not spending it, if you say, let's say you sell at like a 4X multiple, you're getting four back. So if you save $10,000 a year, you're getting 40 grand back. If you can increase your net profits by 100,000 a year, you're getting 400,000 back. And so getting lean and mean is super important. Now, why is that? Why are you getting that back? If you save 4,000 and what you just, the example you just gave, Steve, why is that? Yeah. Well, so if you think about it from like the, uh, the profit and loss statement and you've got your operating expenses, they're going to get subtracted from your gross profits. So just to keep it really simple, we have $1,000 in gross profit and we had, let's say, $600 in operating expenses. That would mean your net profits is 400 bucks. Well, if I can, instead of my operating expenses being 600, I can make them 500, right? My net profits went from 400 to 500, which is a, what is that, a 25% increase in our net profits just by getting lean and mean. What that's doing is that from a valuation perspective, if they were to trade it, sell it like a, a 3X multiple, you would go 400 times three is 1,200. Well, 500 times three is 1,500. You just increase the value of the company. Well, that sounds like very good advice. And it sounds like something that will very much speak to people in the situation they have right now. I would say, what are your top challenges when you're advising business owners? I could see lean and mean. That's got to be difficult for some people. Do you have some top challenges when you're telling people, advising people on how to manage their transition successfully? Do you find that there are some things that are a little bit challenging? 
Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, each business is different, right? I mean, they have their own set of idiosyncrasies and challenges. Because the small and lower middle market, they're underserved. They don't have full accounting teams and a full CFO, et cetera. The accounting side always seems to be something that we spend time with to educate them so that they understand that, you know, operating decisions that they may make, how it affects their financial statements. So that's always a challenge. You know, I would say the the owner dependency thing is a huge one because you got to figure that when a business owner starts his company, I mean, it's their baby, right? You know, they've spent all this time building it. And then when they go to sell, it's like a family member. But if you think about it, when they start the company, they've been the expert. And as they grow and expand, they know how everything operates and works. And so one of the biggest things is to get them to understand how you proofing their business, like taking them out of the operations of their business will increase the value of their company. And so we'll have conversations and do exercises until that light clicks off. And then once it does, then we can start to work on instruction manuals, delegating what they do to other team members, cross-training so that the business, if they you know went on vacation and went around the world for three months, when they got back, it could be doing better without them. That's an important thing. Positive cash flow can be a, an interesting challenge sometimes because you'll have business owners that, look, I always pay my bills. When I get my bills, I pay them on time, right? And then they may have payment terms for their customers at like net 30 or something like that. We have to teach them to kind of flip that model and say, how do we get cash coming in faster and quicker from our customers, either in advance or 50% upfront? And then how do we pay our vendors slower? Now, I'm not talking about, hey, I've got net 30 terms with my vendor and I'm going to pay them a net 90, right? But how do we slow cash going out and speed it coming in? And when we get that squared away, you won't believe how many business owners just this sigh of relief because they see their cash balance continuing to increase. And, you know, cash is king. Cash is king. This sounds so important. It really does to many businesses. Are most of your business owners getting ready to retire or are they perhaps moving on to some other area? Wow, it's a good question. I mean, I have the gamut for the clients that we work with, but if you talk about like the baby boomers, we've got a very unique time in our history coming up. The baby boomers own 12 million businesses right now. It's the equivalent of 10 trillion in assets. And that's 10 trillion is going to change hands. And, and the one great equalizer is time. So every successive year, they get older. And it is bigger than everybody. Matter of fact, it's the largest transition in wealth in the history of the globe of all time. And so people that do what I do, I mean, we're going to need so many more of them to help. Because you got to figure of those 12 million businesses, 80% of them are small and lower middle market companies, right? And they don't have the expertise to go through this process. They haven't sold multiple companies. They can't hire a massive team to go do this. And so I'll tell you, it, it, it's truly going to be unbelievable. And I talk a lot about saturation proofing your business for when you go to market. You don't want to go to market, let's say, five, six, seven years from now, and there's an army of companies in your industry also going to market, right? So what can you do now to make sure that your business truly stands out so that you can still attract multiple buyers? Right now it's a seller's market, but as we continue to press on, it will shift into a buyer's market. 
and you'll start to see prices go down. Do you say a buyer's market because of all the millennial companies that will be up for sale? Is that why you're saying that or are there other reasons? I think it's the, just the classic supply and demand principle. Right now, I mean, there's an army of buyers. Well, of course, this is a unique time with COVID-19 and all that. It's been kind of strange what's happened with the buyer's market and seller's market because we've all had to kind of be very tactical right now. But when you look at the supply, as the baby boomers get older, just if you just target that sector of our population, there's going to be more and more businesses going to market. And it's not like the buyers are going to keep up, Right. So they're going to become more selective. They'll be able to be more selective. And then you'll have some more price sensitivity that will kick in. So it's going to be vitally important for businesses to get built to sell and do the things to maximize their value. And they're really going to need to leverage expertise to help them with that. It's, it's a pretty tough thing to try to go this alone. There's a lot of things that buyers aren't, are not buyers, but sellers aren't going to know. And buyers with Harvard negotiation tactics going at them to buy their company you really want that advice and expertise to kind of take it to that next level. That makes sense. Well, it sounds like these elements that you've been talking about, they have to be critical across the board. It wouldn't be just in one sector of the business. It sounds like these are elements that would be critical no matter what your business is about. Yeah, they're industry agnostic. I mean, these are just time-tested principles for building a valuable company. So not a company that's got tons of revenue, a valuable company. And if you implement these principles and, and if you have a runway to do it, right? Because if time's on your side and you can work on that and implement these principles, you're going to be really happy when you sell your company. And, and when I talk about options, I mean, it's nice when you get 10 offers to buy your business. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's a, just a fantastic thing. A lot less stress and pressure versus I've got one offer at, you know, 70 cents on the dollar. I really needed the 100%, but we're not getting any more buyers or interest in your business because you haven't got your business prepared in a way that's going to attract that multiple buyer scenario. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if I'm a buyer, I want to go into a business that's going to be simple for me just to step in and run. I don't want to go in and have to straighten things out and work on different aspects of the business. So it makes excellent sense. I've got to ask you this. What's your favorite part of all of this? Do you have a favorite part? Yeah, I'll tell you. I, I, I can't tell you how much I love working with business owners. I mean, I really do. I mean, just the multiple industry, it satisfies like my entrepreneurial juices from building companies. And so I get super excited. I mean, it can be a business that I've got an electrician company that I work with and they've got this awesome idea for recurring revenue stream and, and I get all excited about it too. So that's what, what I love about it. And I just have a you know, small and kind of lower middle market companies have a really special place in my heart. I mean, I have worked on Fortune 2000 and Fortune 500 global consulting and all that, but I love the small entrepreneurs that really run our economy, right? And they provide all the jobs and, you know, how many times those people have had to like forgo salaries while they're growing their business and they're just, they're making nothing, just trying to get there to achieve the American dream. And I get to be part of that. And I'll tell you, I mean, I, to me, it's very serious. I mean, it just really is. I mean, I, I I treat it like it's my company. And, you know, what can I do to make their retirement after or life after the sale better is all that I'm focused on. 
But uh, yeah, it's just working with the business owners and really everything about it. I mean, I just, uh, I love it. The challenges that come up, the issues, the talks that we have. It's fun. It's fun to me. It's maybe not fun to everybody, but to me, it's just, uh, it's just a lot of fun going through this. I can hear that. And that sounds great. If I owned a business, I would want you to help me. <laughs> How You mentioned your business, EEC. You sold in 2008, uh, the National Consulting and Recruiting Form. Is that what led you to found Final Ascent? Was selling your business to help people to reach their goals? Or was there another way that you went around to forming the company that you're in now? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a combination. You know, we sold ECC back in 2008 and got an offer out of the blue uh, from a company wanting a top 10 public accounting firm that wanted to build a presence in the South. And so luckily we were highly systematized and leveraged technology and just built that company from, you know, my wife and I starting it. Uh, we had 30 employees, 60 contractors, and we were people all over the country working and even in the world and started another company. And it just, uh, those entrepreneurial roots, I just kept coming back to them. And we started to see the seller and buyer community just picking up and recognizing that small businesses just, they did not have the help that they needed to achieve that American dream. So how many of them were either selling their companies for a fire sale or, you know, sadly just closed shop because they just didn't feel there was a way. And so I felt like kind of uniquely positioned with my background with IT and business and strategy consulting and audit, and then the entrepreneurial side to help. And so, yeah, we started it in 2017 and, and just been hitting the ground running and just super excited to help. This has been terrific. Steve, is there anything else that you would like me to ask you? Oh, wow. That's a, that is an interesting question. Um, you know, I'd say the only thing is that from this COVID-19 unique time that we found ourselves in, I wanted to say that one of the things that's important during this time frame is to focus on the positive. You know, now's the time. Now, granted, we're, we're kind of far into this thing, but document your processes and create instruction manuals, right? Now's the time to really look at your business. I mean, what do you provide? What markets do you serve? What new markets could you go into, right, to grow and expand? Looking at the products and services, what's the most profitable that's the easiest to get your employees to execute and deliver and then repeatable to customers that want to buy more of it? I mean, how can you serve your customers better, provide more value? I just feel like it's so easy for all of us being just inundated with this and the media and just the constant discussions about COVID-19 to focus on the negative, but focus on the positive and focus on ways that you can provide additional value. Because when you come out of this on the back end, you're going to find there's companies that you may have competed with that just aren't there anymore you're going to find that you may actually capture more market share and be more valuable coming off the back end of this. So that's just something that there's always two sides to a coin. And I just believe you have to look at things holistically and we have to do damage control and do the tactical things to get through a strange event like this. But we also at that time have to then say, okay, how do we become a stronger company to survive? Because there's going to be another blue swan event later at some point. So let's just roll up our sleeves and do what we can to be the best that we can be. Well, I've thought about that. This has been such a unique and extreme time. And I've thought about it in so many areas and certainly in business. 
the downside has to have also created some really unique opportunities that are presenting themselves that weren't there before. Some real positive things. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at the sad side of the equation is that you do have some businesses that were very limping along, that this just kind of, that, that bottom 5%, that just, they went away. And you see, everybody sees it. I mean, strip malls, et cetera. But there are incredibly unique opportunities out there that people, think about Zoom, right? I've been using Zoom as an example, the web conferencing for a long time. So it wasn't anything new to me. But think of the millions and millions of companies, businesses, and people that suddenly are doing like video conferencing all the time. So Zoom's business went from wherever they were at to you know 10 times their size. You had businesses that were in the manufacturing industry that immediately retooled and were producing products to help. You know whether it's like the uh, you know, protection equipment or masks or ventilators, and they just reinvent themselves. You have businesses saying, "Okay, we always did things in person, but maybe you know we have found a way now to." not have to go travel all the time. We can we can actually do this with a video conference. I'll give you a great example. I have a business that I work with that owns um, autism clinics and they work with students, I mean, on the spectrum to the very extreme and the clinics, they always have the kids there and it's just a great, phenomenal environment. Well, uh, when the business obviously shut down because of this, because you couldn't have the kids in all close proximity and especially autistic kids, because you can't tell them don't go there, right? They said, okay, well, we can do like, uh, you know, telesessions. We can do at home nursing visits directly and still maintain the distance that we need to. And we had conversations, well, these are new service offerings. So when we build out the capacity on a clinic, we can augment the revenue by adding these two new revenue streams to it. And so by doing the projections, we increased the revenue by, oh my gosh, I mean, it was like 30, 35% just off of the new service offerings that got created by thinking outside the box. So yeah, it's such a great question because there's just a wealth of opportunity. You just have to put your entrepreneurial hat and think out of the box on what can you do to be better because of what can be oftentimes a very scary and unsafe type environment that we found ourselves in especially early in the game, right? That's right. Oh, thank you, Steve. This has been fascinating. I mean, you obviously have a lot of expertise and knowledge in so many areas of business. And it's been very interesting to hear how you can go in and help these businesses and present them in the best way that they can go on the market and be ready to go, as well as other people that are just trying to grow their businesses. So I thank you very much for joining us. It's been fascinating. Thank you very much. I mean, the pleasure is all mine. I love... uh doing things obviously with UNT and the Alumni Association and just super appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with Steve Conwell. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu slash podcast, or by searching for the Ali at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends.